Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Luck Be a Lady Tonight edition as the Bengals head to Las Vegas and hope to hit the jackpot as they face the 5-4 Raiders. Coming up, I'll preview the game with one of the guys who will be in the booth for CBS on Sunday, Charles Davis. Among other things, he'll explain why his 23-year-old son was so excited to hear that his dad is doing a Bengals game this weekend. My one-on-one player interview is with punter Kevin Huber, who will reach a milestone on Sunday that only two other players have reached in team history. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news, including why Hakeem Adeniji is starting in place of Jackson Carmen at right guard. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we get the scoop on the Raiders from Jesse Merrick, who covers the team for KSNV-TV in Las Vegas. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the tradition of radio announcers getting in trouble for criticizing officials. In 1988, Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxhall were summoned to Commissioner Peter Uberoth's office for criticizing umpire Dave Pallone. In 2003, my color commentator on UC basketball games, the late great Chuck Mayshock, got ejected from an NCAA tournament game for yelling at one of the refs. It never happened again in the final 446 games of Chuck's broadcasting career. And this week, the Texas Tech football announcers have been suspended from Saturday's game against Oklahoma State for ripping the officials last week in a win over Iowa State. Did Brian Jensen and his analyst John Harris go too far? Yeah, probably, and I'm sure they regret it. But let me add this. Their call of Texas Tech's 62-yard walk-off field goal to win that game was fantastic. Now, let's get to my guests, beginning with one of the top TV analysts in the NFL. Charles Davis will be in the booth with Ian Eagle this Sunday for CBS. And Charles, you guys had the Browns-Patriots game last week. Cleveland lost by 38 one week after a great showing against the Bengals. The Ravens looked lousy last week. The Steelers tied the winless Lions. Can you explain the AFC North to us? Dan, I can't explain the AFC North. I can't explain the AFC South. I can't explain the NFL. You know, it's funny because I was watching the Raiders get jumped on by Kansas City on Sunday night and didn't expect that at all. I expected the Raiders to get off the deck a little bit because we all know the the troubles they've been through. But at the same time, here comes Kansas City, a chance to really make a move, a home game, all of that. And Kansas City, which had been struggling, they got right in that game. And I read something recently, and it was so apropos. The AFC West has let Kansas City off the hook. You know, I feel like Dennis Green is being channeled again, right? (laughs) You let them off the hook because they had them where they wanted them, and now Kansas City's back in control. In the AFC North, every time there's a chance for someone to really take control or to make a move, uh uh-uh, doesn't really happen that way. I guess my analogy is every time one of these teams goes up the ladder, someone hooks an ankle and pulls them back down to the pack. So I think that's where we are right now with the entire NFL. Because every time we think someone's got it figured out, 
I mean, who who was it who went in there and jumped Arizona, Carolina? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you just you just don't know how it's gonna go. Yeah, I think the Bengals had the greatest bye week in history last week with the way things went in the AFC North. We're visiting with Charles Davis. This will be the first Bengals game that you and I and will do this year. What are you looking forward to seeing on the Cincinnati team? Well, you know, let's get away from all the things we're looking to see them get better at doing in the, after this two-game losing streak. Let's just talk about the Bengals overall, where they are a team that people want to watch play. You want to watch Joe Burrow at quarterback. You want to see Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzama. Am I getting that? Am I close to that? I want to Very get it close. Right. Think you, Zama. C.J. Uzama. How's that? All right, Perfect. see, that's why I come to you. I come to you for the education. <laughs> so you want to see them play. I mean, you enjoy that. You enjoy seeing the fireworks. You, look, I've, I'm tired of watching the highlights. I want to see the real thing. And now I'm going to get a chance to do that defensively. You know, I want to see Jesse Bates get back in form. I love the way that he's a ball hawk. I want to see him get people on the ground in the run game. I want to see all of those things come together. This is a fun team to watch. This is a team that now you talk about it. I'll put it to you this way, Dan. My son is 23. And when I told him I had this game, first thing he said, oh, wow, that'll be cool. You get to see the Bengals. How often have you heard that in the last 10 years? <laughs> you really have it that much because you got used to a certain way. We saw it during the, during the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green competing for division crowns during that time frame. But the last few years, we haven't had it. There's a certain excitement about the Bengals and what they bring to the table. So I am, you know, I know myself, I and Evan Washburn and our crew, we're pretty excited about the chance to see them live. Tell your son we said thanks. Let's talk about the Bengals wide receiver core a little bit uh, more closely. What are your observations about Jamar, T, and Tyler so far? I just think that they work together so well because we always talk about roles. But I do think that all of them fill different roles in different ways and can do it, you know, with multiplicity. All right. You can't just say this guy does this, this guy does that, this guy does that. And that's all they do. They kind of do it all. But some of the but you got to accentuate what their strengths are. With Jamar Chase, the explosiveness is off the charts. We know that ball is in his hand. If you count to three and he's not on the ground, there's a good chance he's making a huge play for you downfield. All right. With T Higgins, the strength, the ability to, to, to shed people after, after a catch, run through contact. That's another big, big thing that you're looking for. And Tyler Boyd, it's funny as a guy that I work with, we've been watching swapping some, some film, look at each other. And he's like, is it just me or is he extremely underrated still? And I love how he said still, because we've recognized he's a very good player for a long time now. But because the Bengals didn't have a record where we talked about them every week in the national scene, he didn't get recognized for what he does. But put him in the slot and figure out how you're going to cover him. Very nifty in what he does. Excellent hands, body control, the whole deal. Now, take all of that and put it all together. If you want to run certain things as Zach Taylor and, and Brian Callahan do on offense, you can mix and match with these guys. They don't have to stay in one spot in order for you to make plays. I mean, I'm watching tape and there's Jamar Chase back at tailback. So, so we're gonna see a lot of different things out of them and continue to do so. Find ways to get them the football. What's the old expression, Dan? You don't always just call plays. You call, you call things for people. 
there's certain things you have in mind that you want to accomplish, make sure you get those plays called. And I know the Bengals do that well. Charles, let's talk a little bit about the Bengals defense through five weeks. It was great. Fifth in the NFL and fewest points allowed. The last couple of games, they've given up a bunch. What must the defense do against a very good Raiders offense this week? Well, it's funny because the Raiders' identity, what they wanted to be their identity starting the season, was a really hard running football team who beat you over the top off of play action, who, who, who established that physicality at the line of scrimmage. That's why they drafted Alex Leatherwood in the first round out of Alabama. They thought he'd be a plug-and-play right tackle for them and beat you up. Hasn't worked out that well, so he's moved inside to guard and Brandon Parker's playing right tackle. And they run the ball a lot less than I think that the Raiders wanted to do going into the season. And it's not just because of the shift at head coach either. They weren't running it well before John Gruden lost his job. So now you've got Derek Carr with the explosiveness out wide, with the ability to create plays, with his moxie in the pocket and enough movement that he keeps plays alive and finds people downfield. Obviously, what Henry Ruggs did was horrific. There's no other way to put it. The loss of life for Tina Tintor, you, you, you can't express any more than that. The focus for me is on her, not on Henry Ruggs, but he's no longer on this team. So for them as a football team, there goes that speed out wide. And I, I hate to say that because that's what got him into trouble in his personal life was speed. But that's a problem for them on offense. That's why they signed Deshaun Jackson, hoping to find that person who can open things up and now allow the other receivers to play to their strengths. Brian Edwards is a big, strong physical receiver, but he's not a sprinter. Hunter Renfro can run a route and have 18 different moves on it. I always laughed at myself because one of my favorite movies, I don't know if you remember it, Dan, it's called The Best of Times, Robin Williams, Kurt Russell. And they, they recreated a high school football game when they're adults and they're playing. And Robin Williams moves off the line of scrimmage where he'd give like a temptations, you know, soul move and, and a spin and all that. Hunter Renfro runs routes like that and finds himself open and making plays. And I always laughed at myself. He's a much more athletic Jack Dundee from the best of times. But they need that speed out wide in order to create that space for them to run those underneath routes. And Darren Waller, of course, is a tight end. Mask, you know, he's a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. He's just a bigger force. And he hasn't gotten the ball as much lately. So I have a feeling Greg Olson, that offensive coordinator, he's written down on his list, find opportunities for Darren Waller. So it'll be interesting to see how that matchup takes place. You will have to show that movie to Hunter Renfro for him to understand it's a compliment. Yeah, and, 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 and I don't know that he will. I think if I show it to him, he might punch me in my face. So I, I'm not sure I will, but it's, it's what, to me, it is a, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting deal because it's funny to me, but Dan, you've seen the highlights this year already. You're going to see it live on Sunday. He makes extra moves, and we always talk about double move, occasionally a triple move. I've seen Hunter Renfro with four moves on a route, and it turns into a big play. That's why I started laughing about the Jack Dundee thing. Because in a movie, you know, he's doing all this stuff in the live screen with a spin and a twirl and a twist and all that. You can't do that in real life. But Hunter Renfro makes it work in real life without, the, without all the Hollywood extras that go with it. A couple more questions for Charles Davis from CBS. How about the Raiders' defense? Max Crosby has been one of the best pass rushers in the league this year, but they gave up 41 last week to Kansas City, and Patrick Mahomes basically did whatever he wanted to. Yeah, he got right, didn't he? Because Patrick Mahomes was going through a stretch like 
you know, people talk about Joe Burrow and the interception bug. That's what they were talking about with Patrick Mahomes. You're still creating plays, but every game there's a turnover or what's going on with that. Some of that, the fault of the quarterback. Some of that, the ball bouncing off receivers' hands. You know, some of it's just bad luck as you go along. And that's why I always caution people, you know, that's why quarterbacks don't yell at receivers very often. Because sometimes that ball bounces off their hands, but the next time you throw it into double coverage and he goes up and takes it away and give, makes a big play and all of a sudden you look good again. So you got to you take the good and the bad and figure it out in between. But I think that for this defense, they're not overly complex, Dan. That front four is going to try and get after you. If, if you get into second and long, third and long, here comes Yannick Ngakwe off of one edge, Max Crosby off of the other. They're getting really good play from Quentin Jefferson. Darius Phylon, Damian Square inside. Those guys have played. Uh, Hankins, they've played well for them inside in rushing the passer. Um, they've given up more in the run game than you might expect. But if they get you pinned down, here they come, and they're going to play that old Seattle cover one, cover three behind it that Gus Bradley's going to do. And he's got a young secondary. He's going to want to keep Jonathan Abram, the strong safety, out of coverage if he can. He's going to have the high safety of Trevon Merrick, the rookie out of TCU, and he's hoping to get some help back out on the corners. Remember, Casey Hayward's played really well for them. I mean, he's been a big pickup, but they've been dinged up on the other corner a lot. Trayvon Mullen hasn't been there, and they're playing with Brandon Faison now, who started the season with the Chargers. So that's what you're going to get out of them. It's not going to be overly complex. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to stay out of second and third and long because they get after you off the edge, which is something they didn't do last year. This year, this group, oh, they're coming for you. Final question. You mentioned your 23-year-old son. I'm going to mention my 15-year-old son because since 2016, I'm pretty sure that he has heard your voice more than he's heard my voice because you are one of the commentators for Madden NFL Football, the video game. When you talk to NFL players, do they want to talk about Madden more than anything else? It's funny, Dan, you brought that up, and I'll try and be succinct for once in my life. This is the seventh year that I'm working on the game now, and it's myself and Brandon Godden, who is my, who's my play-by-play partner, formerly at Georgia Tech, Butler. Now he's Westwood One. Um, he, he does Fox Sports, um, Big Ten Network. He's the lead guy for them. The whole deal, right? So – all this time frame, there's not a single weekend I've done an NFL game since I've started this thing that somewhere a Madden mention doesn't come up. But it doesn't come from me. It's just part of the culture of what we do, right? So, like, when you're doing something, you're talking to someone, man, that guy that you played, you know, a guy you got to cover this week, my God, four touchdowns last week. That defensive back's likely going to say, yeah, it was like something out of Madden. I mean, my God, you know? I remember I did a game, I think, with Chandler Jones a few years ago, and he had three sacks the week before with the Cardinals. You know what he said sitting down? Man, if that doesn't improve my Madden rating, I don't know what will. <laughs> now, never connected me with it, okay? I've hmm. not been connected, which has been an amazing part for me and a good thing, I guess, in a lot of ways until this year. Jalen Hurts was the first one. I started to talk to him. Hey, Jalen, you know, he goes, hold on a second. I know that voice. You're the Madden guy. First time that has happened, seventh year. So it doesn't happen very often. But I will tell you this, as a parent, let me give you some advice, parent to parent. There's a mute button on the game. <laughs> Exercise it as you need to. The kid can play with the headphones on and the whole thing, so you don't have to keep hearing this yapping at you all the time. You know, of the various battles I want to fight with my son, that isn't one of them. 
He is he is welcome to listen to you while he's playing Madden. You're a good man. Charles, this has been a treat. It's always great to catch up. I hope you have a great game on Sunday, and I look forward to seeing you in Vegas. Hey, right back at you, Dan. I can't wait to see you when we get there, see you and Dave and, and the crew. It's always a blast to see. It's been way too long. It's been a long time since I've done a Bengals game, but we are very excited to see them in person. Up next, my one-on-one visit with the Bengals' all-time leader in every significant punting category, Kevin Huber, who will reach a milestone on Sunday in Las Vegas. Kevin, you are about to play in your 200th NFL regular season game, and that is a big number. Ken Riley and Reggie Williams are the only other Bengals that are in the 200 club. What's this milestone mean to you? Um, you know, it's it's a pretty cool feat. It's something that, you know, I never thought I would get to. Um, you know, I've always just, I, I never thought about number of games and the fact that, you know, started getting closer and closer. I was like, man, I can actually do this and get up to 200 games. And um, I just think, uh, I don't think it's really hit me yet. I think it's going to be some of those things that down the road, I'm like, well, I, you know, I've crossed the 200 game threshold, which, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool thing. And I think it's going to be a, a pretty, pretty good accomplishment that I've, I've had in my career. I'll say uh, with a new 17 game regular season schedule this year, you can tie Ken Riley's franchise record at the end of the season with 207. To break it, you need to come back for a 14th year. Is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the plan. You know, <laughs> I, I, I can't just tie it. i got to break it. So I definitely got to come back next year and, uh, you know, get that and hopefully pad the stats a little bit. I can't, and, and i got to keep Clark behind me. You know, I can't let Clark pass me. Are you guys competing for who's going to last the longest? You know, there, I, I don't think we've ever really talked about that, but I'm sure there is a little, uh, you know, I definitely want to last longer than him. And I don't want him to, you know, past me so yeah there's a little internal uh competition to see you can last the longest we're chatting with kevin huber so far this year you're averaging 46.4 yards a punt with a net average of 40.9 both of those numbers are above your career average what's been the key to your longevity uh i think just staying consistent and you know listen to your body knowing what you need to do just being ready um i think that's the biggest thing i've learned throughout the years is what it takes in the off season to get ready for, you know, the long season. Um, and then also during the season to keep that maintenance up to, to get yourself through. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not overly complicated. It's just a matter of just knowing what you need to do and, you know, taking control, being a professional and doing it. Um, also it's helped a lot to keep the continuity with Clark. Um, and then also with Darren and I, I know Darren's going to get, no matter who we have out there, it's going to have the team prepared. Um, so I can sit back there confident and comfortable knowing that, you know, if someone gets hurt and we have a backup come in in the middle of the game that I know they're going to be ready to go and know exactly what to do. I don't have to like worry about, are they going to make their block or not? I can just be back there, be comfortable and, you know, get the job done. At this stage of your career in your 13th NFL season, are you like a veteran pitcher who maybe has lost a mile or two off his fastball, but finds other ways to be just as effective? Yeah, that's, that's probably a good way to put it. I mean, you know, you see some of these young guys coming out and they can just absolutely hammer the ball. Um, you know, that wasn't really the style when I came out. Um, you know, but I think, you know, this being consistent at, you know, what I can do, not trying to do what I, you know, not trying to do something different. You know, I know what I do works. And, you know, I, I found myself in the, you know, the top, you know, 10 um, in, you know, gross and net for the last several years. So obviously, um, you know, it'd be great if I had a, a leg that can, 
you know, like some of these guys. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, they probably wish they had more consistency. Consistency, and I think uh, the way I've done things has worked, and I'm just going to continue to do that. Punting is not the only part of your job. You've actually been out there as the holder more on PATs and field goals than you have for punts this season. I think most of us kind of take the job of holder for granted. Is it underappreciated? I think so. I think people look at that as, um, I don't even think people really pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's such a huge you know, part of the game. When you see all these kicks that are missed around the league, you know, there's a lot this year, and there's been several in the last couple of years. If you kind of look at, you know, people don't really paint – a lot of times they just put on the, the kicker. But if you really break down the operation, a lot of times it's on the holder. Hmm. You know, they're not getting the laces around. They're not clean, catching it, putting it down. That's um, definitely something I pride myself on that I think um, I think I'm a pretty good holder. And especially in, in this division you have to be with, you know, the weather, the cold, the, the wind. Um, you know, we have terrible conditions in this division. So it's something I've kind of prided myself on because I don't ever want to kick to be blamed on me. So I want to make sure that, like, everything's done and everything's perfect for the, for the kicker um, just so that they can do their job and they're not worrying about, you know, is the ball going to get on the spot. We're chatting with Kevin Huber. You are working with a new kicker this year and Evan McPherson. Does it sound different when he kicks? Yeah, I mean, he's got an explosiveness that I've really never experienced. You know, you, you kind of see it. I've gotten to – the close I can say is, you know, when we play against uh, Tucker in Baltimore, you know, the ball kind of comes off very similar. And um, I think Evan's done a great job. He's got a great, you know, mental part of it. You know, he's, he's very knowledgeable about the position. Um, and he knows right away, you know, if he missed a kick, what he did. Um, and he does a great job adjusting. He listens really well to Darren. And, um, yeah, he's, he's got a great future out of him. Clark Harris is 37. You're 36. Evan McPherson is 22. Has it been fun to have a young kid in the room? Yeah, he, he definitely keeps us young. <laughs> we, we ask him a lot of time when some old songs come on the radio if he knows who they are, and he has no idea. So we, we have some fun with that. At the same time, you know, he likes to poke and prod us a little bit for uh, being the old guys. So it's been a fun mix, and uh, you know, we've meshed really well. Our personalities are you know, different but also very similar. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a nice, nice season so far. Just we've really meshed well, and uh, um, it's been it's been a good run so far. He told me a great story. He said you took him golfing, and the guy in charge of the carts asked if he was your son. Can you confirm? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. I think I think it's actually what he asked me if it was my son. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things. I, I've been asked more times this year by uh, by because we've had a lot of new faces in the locker room. So I've been asked if I'm the coach several times. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the uh, players, uh, girlfriends and wives, have asked if I'm, uh, if I'm a coach. And um, so it's just, it's just nature of the business. You get old and you look a little older. I mean, it's, you know, the locker room keeps staying young and I keep getting older. So it's, it's just it's bound to happen. 36 is a kid in my book, trust me. A couple more questions for Kevin Huber. The Bengals went to the playoffs in six of your first seven seasons. You haven't been back in the last five. How much are you enjoying being back in the hunt this year? And does anything stand out about this group? I mean, first off, it's great to be back. You know, it's, you know, it's tough when you're losing games. It's tough to stay focused. Um, it's tough to, you know, keep remembering that, like, this is your job and you have to perform. And and it's it become it, 
it's frustrating because it becomes almost a selfish mentality when you're losing because you're like, right, I can look out for myself. I need to make sure I'm performing well for myself. Where now it's your winning games and you want to do well to help win more games. And it's just more fun because the locker room, just the mentality is better. Everyone's more excited. Um, everyone's helping everybody out because they, they see it. They see that, you know, where this team can go. And it's just a lot more fun. And with this group, it's, it's, a, it's a really good group. It's probably one of the best group as far as locker room presence and um, personalities that we've ever had. And, you know, the biggest thing, I think I've said this in a lot of, lot of interviews this year, is, you know, the, uh, the egos are not there. You don't you don't have the, you know, you don't have the, the the guys that are that might be pulling away from what the rest of the group wants to do, um, and kind of create that that bad that bad juju, if you will. You know, everyone in the locker room right now just wants to win. They want to win. They want to do it for each other, and you know that's that's all they want to do. Last thing, your last year at UC was two thousand eight. And the program reached a point that they had never reached before when you guys went to the Orange Bowl, the first time Cincinnati had ever played in a bowl of that magnitude. Now UC is ranked third in the country. They've got a legitimate chance of going to the four-team playoff. How exciting is that for you? I mean, it's pretty cool, especially still being in Cincinnati so I can you know, really be in it. And I get to see all the media every day talking about it. Um, I've gotten a chance to go to a couple games, um, and then I got a chance to go check out the, uh, the game day experience, which is they pretty awesome. They did a great job with that, and just seeing how you know, you know, the fact that we didn't, you know, just completely do what typically happens in programs like this, where you you have some success, then you just drop off. You know, we're sustaining success, and uh, I think Coach Fickle's done a phenomenal job of just recruiting and getting guys in and getting guys to buy in, um, and just seeing you know how well they're playing and how consistent they're playing. It's just really fun to watch, and I can you know. You know, talk a little bit more in the locker room with, uh, with how well they're playing. <laughs> and your name is on the stadium wall as one of the greatest Bearcats of them all. Congratulations on 200 regular season NFL games. It's a phenomenal milestone, and I hope there are many, many more to come. I appreciate your time. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Kevin obviously wants to keep playing beyond this year, and at age 36, he is not the oldest punter in the NFL. Baltimore's Sam Cook and Arizona's Andy Lee are both 39. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time for my midweek chat with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap Sunday's game is not a must-win for the Bengals. If they lose to the Raiders and then win their five remaining home games, that alone would make them 10-7 and seven and give them a decent chance of going to the playoffs. But I was looking at one of these playoff simulators earlier today. Right now, they supposedly have a 38% chance of making the playoffs. If they win on Sunday, it jumps to 55%. If they win on Sunday and then beat the Steelers at home the next week, it jumps to 69%. So... Again, it's not a must-win, but a win would really help. It's important. Yep. You know, I think it's an important football game. And, and you look at it, there's a lot of similarities. Both teams have lost two in a row. Bengals obviously separated by the, uh, you know, after the bye. Mm-hmm. Um, and both teams coming off a blowout by a division rival. So who's going to be able to get up off the mat? You know, and, and uh, 
does the have the, the, the bye week does the bye week allow you to get over it or do you stew in it and it becomes more of an issue uh, again sports psychologists have a field day you know sometimes a lot of people say when you have, lay an egg you know like the Raiders laid the egg the best thing to do is get right back to work the following Monday and put that aside and well, the Bengals weren't in that situation. They laid an egg and, and it, it, it infected and festered and fostered itself <laughs> or whatever. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who comes out. And, uh, and I think we've, we've talked about it just about ad nauseum every week, a fast start. I think a fast start, and this one's big because the team that starts out quickly maybe has gotten over it a little bit faster, and, uh, and that will help them get over it. It would be tougher to get off the mat if you have to overcome a two-score deficit or something like that. So – I think that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch. And you look at the Raiders, their first two games of the season, they beat the Ravens, they beat the Steelers. They're 2-0 against the AFC North. So the Bengals could be the first AFC North team to, to knock them off, hopefully. Your comparison about their last two games is right on the money. Even the score of the recent right. game was almost identical. The Bengals lost 41-16. to The Raiders lost 41-14. to Amazing. It is. It's, it's amazing. And you look at the big win the Bengals had you know, before they had their two-game slide. You know, 41 to 14. I mean, what's the deal with the 41 and staying in the teens? I mean, it's it's kind of a recurring theme. It's kind of an interesting interesting dynamic. And, uh, you know, the Bengals and the Raiders are both just good examples of what's going on in the National Football League. You know, I mean, the, the best the Bengals have played, obviously, is the Baltimore Ravens game. That's about as close to as well as they can play. But they've only done it one time in nine games. So it, it gives you a little bit of hope that, Man, they, they haven't really put it together on a consistent enough basis to get on a, on a nice run. And, uh, you know, maybe they have that in them. The Raiders, it's the same thing. You know, they've, they've looked pretty darn good at times, and other times have looked like, is this the same football team? There's so many similarities between these two mm-hmm. teams. There really are. It's, it's, it's amazing how, how their seasons have almost unfolded the same way. For this stage of the year, the Bengals are remarkably healthy. I am I'm knocking on wood as I say that, but they do have a significant injury now. Akeem Davis-Gaither suffered a foot injury in the most recent game. He had surgery this week. Sounds like there's a decent chance that he's out for the rest of the year. Jordan Evans was already out for the rest of the year, so those are two of your core linebackers. Marcus Bailey has been on the COVID list. He apparently is going to be back on Thursday. The Bengals recently added Clay Johnston off waivers from the Panthers. He was featured prominently on Hard Knocks last year after being drafted by the Rams. But how is all of this linebacker stuff going to impact the team? Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be you know one of the, one of the big storylines of of this this game and, and the second half of the season. There's there's no doubt about it. Joe Bocci is is a guy that you know is going to have to take on a, a more significant role. Marcus Bailey with the COVID issue, uh, you know, he didn't practice in the early stages of the week. Then he didn't practice on Wednesday. Hopefully, be able to come back and and uh, give him some practice snaps and be ready to play in the football game. But yeah, you look at it, and you know Joseph Asai. You go way back; it's like an outside linebacker, defensive end, more of a defensive end type guy, but an edge rush kind of guy. They've had their they've had their issues at the linebacker position. That if you were going to pick a position, and usually it does when you start to have an injury, um, it's it's almost like a virus, and it affects one position group. And the linebacker core is, is definitely the group, and it's now it's like the trickle down effect starts to hit Darren Simmons because now linebackers, and he hasn't had that many of them on his special teams roster. I mean, that's been, for the last couple of years now, something where a lot of teams have more linebackers available on special teams than what Darren has had. 
now that that, that pot is dwindled even more and some of the linebackers that are playing special teams for them have to step up and fill some of these sub-package snaps, uh, you know, that, uh, that were being filled by, like, Davis Gaither. Bailey's going to be the guy to take the place of that. Now who's your special teams linebacker? So, you know, there, there are guys that uh, they're, they're evaluating as we speak. I mean, guys that they've just signed and, uh, you know, taken a look at and seeing how, what kind of roles they can fill, whether it be special teams or sub-package roles. And I think that would be, you know uh, – Calitro, I think that's how you say his mm-hmm. name. He was here with the Bengals for a little bit. Austin Calitro, what can he give you? Out of Villanova, six foot, two hundred and forty pound guy. Uh, can he give you some special team snaps? So, yeah, it's it's a it's a process where um, when the, the the ripple effect of injuries to to guys you know that aren't even starters as such. Guys that will have in a rotation or in some kind of package or whatever the case may be. It starts to have an impact, and, and Darren Simmons and Lou Anarumo and everybody's trying to figure it out at this point. The Raiders have one of the best tight ends in the NFL in Darren Waller. He's had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. I imagine Akeem Davis-Gaither would have been involved in coverage on him. What do they do now? I think that uh, one of the packages that Trey Flowers is involved in, and he's been the guy they put on the tight end. Um, and he's, he's a bigger defensive back. He's got some, some length and some leverage to him. You know, I mean, he's a he, he, he's a guy that's like six three, and he's got long arms, and uh, I think I think that's a role that that, that he may he may fill. Uh, Michael Thomas, the safety they 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 signed, he may be involved in that a little bit. They may bracket you know, him some, I would think. I would bracket him with a linebacker and a safety sometimes. I think I think you're just going to have to give different looks uh, to Waller. Whatever the Kansas City Chiefs did. I'd do that because, you know, it was, the, it was the big matchup, not obviously against each other, but who was going to have a bigger game for their respective team, Travis Kelsey or, or Darren Waller. It was Kelsey in a, in a landslide. And that, that's the thing, Dan. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the second half of the schedule. They have Waller. They have Kittle when the 49ers come to Cincinnati. They've got uh, Andrews again, the Ravens, and Kelsey. Three AFC Pro Bowl tight ends. All three of the guys that are probably going to be in the Pro Bowl and then Kittle for the, for the NFC, the quarterback-tight end combinations they've got in four out of their last eight games, pretty darn significant. So this is a, this is a starting point to see how you're going to be able to handle the tight ends. They did a good job against Andrews the first time. They did a good job against the Ravens offense in general. In fact, I think a lot of teams around the league are trying to crack the code like they did against the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, tight ends are going to be an issue issue in the second half of this season. You just depressed me with that stat. You didn't even mention Fryermuth, who is getting a bigger and bigger role with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's talk about the cornerback position. In recent weeks, the Bengals have added a couple of veteran corners who have been starters elsewhere. Trey Flowers, you mentioned him, formerly of Seattle. Vernon Hargraves, the former number one uh, draft pick, who most recently was with Houston. There was some speculation that maybe one of those guys would surpass Eli Apple and move into the starting lineup. It's not going to happen this week. Zach Taylor told reporters that Eli is still the starter and uh, when asked why, defended his play so far this year. But what do you think long term? You know, I, I think that even if, uh, you know, Zach says that Eli Apple's the starter, it, it, all that matters to me, starter is just a designation. Who's taking the preponderance of the snaps? Who's mm-hmm. taking the majority, you know, of the snaps? And, and what are the packages um, of those snaps and who's playing where? So I, I think what they're they're trying to do is – is work everybody into you know a package as such, uh, and, and and break them into into playing time that way, and then, and then if they show they can handle that package 
with uh, with alacrity, then they'll expand that package. You know, so I think that uh, I think that in in my mind, uh, as as Paul Brown and Tiger Johnson, the first coaches that, that I ha- had experience with uh, in my first NFL season, they said, "Hey, you have to win your job every single week in the National Football League. There's no givens. I mean, everybody's good. You know, a lot of times there's not much difference between." The guy that's quote starting and the guy that's quote backing them up sometimes they're pretty darn equal so um you, you just what it should do is it should inspire competitive spirit you know and hopefully you get the best out of guys and if guys are going to assume the fetal position fold their tent you don't want those guys anyway you know so hopefully it, it lifts uh the entire level of play on the back end the use of the word alacrity, one of the reasons why you got into Harvard, <laughs> or were accepted at least back in the day. Let's turn to the offensive line. Hakeem Adeniji will start at right guard for the second consecutive game. What's it mean to him? What's it mean to Jackson Carmen? Yeah, I think I think um, for Adeniji, it's it's um, his patience was tested, um, his resiliency was tested. Um, how do you handle success? How do you handle failure? All those kind of things were tested when he had the injury that he had. And all he was trying to do when he sustained the injury was to get better. You know, he was trying to get extra lift in and, um, you know, I don't know. It, it's You're you're in that uh, in that place where you're trying to get that one last rep and you're working, you're working, and sometimes you know, it, can be, it can cause a physical issue. You're trying to get that, that last rep and gut it out. Sometimes it's best just, okay, give it away and let's do another set. And however it happened, um, it, it did happen to him. And it set him back a little bit, but but he responded well. I mean, I I was very impressed with how he handled it at training camp. There's there's mental parts of it. And, I, and I've seen guys, in the, you know, they get injured and it's like, ah, I'm not part of this. And they kind of mope around and, you know, they don't. They don't really feel part of the team, and it, it, it's hard to be hurt, hard to be injured. You feel like you're almost, a, you know, a leper. You know, you're isolated, and you can't do things that other people are doing. But he, he was, he was right in the middle of it. I mean, he did everything short of taking the physical rep. I mean, he was on top of every coaching point that Frank Pollock was going through, and he would talk to his teammates. He talked to the veteran players, and I was impressed with, with that part of it. How he was always trying to accumulate knowledge. Then when I talked to some of the veteran linemen. You know, I'd say, well, what kind of questions is he asking you? You know, and they'd be like, good ones, you know, real good ones. So now you're thinking, here's a kid that's dead serious. And so he, he got himself as ready as he possibly could from all other areas other than the actual be able to go out there and take the physical reps. And, um, you know, as we've said many times, in any athletic endeavor, starts with your feet, ends with your hands. He's got, he ex- excels in both areas. I mean, he's got some sweet feet now. His lateral movement is as good as I've seen. And then when he finishes you with that punch, you know, and you're, now you're allowed to extend your hands and actually punch with your palms, and um, he, he packs one. He packs a punch. So um, hopefully I think uh, he's put himself in a position to take advantage of an opportunity. Uh, he prepared himself uh, to, to do so, and I'm rooting for him because guys like that uh, – you know, he, he handled everything the right way. Let's put it that way. Everything that he could possibly do to get himself ready for his next opportunity, he did in spades. And how about Jackson now handling this? Yeah, I think I think what Jackson has to do is, I mean, everybody, uh, again, you, you handle success and then deal with failure. How are you gonna? How resilient are you? How are you gonna? How are you gonna react? And and coaches and teammates, everybody's watching. Are you gonna? Uh, are you gonna say? Mm, it's over, you know. 
I lost my job. He's the guy. Or you're going to say, hey, I want that job back. I'm going to, I'm going to, the first thing that, that, uh, I always thought if, if something happened like that, the first thing I was going to do is go into the coach and say, coach, what do I need to do to get better? How, what do I need to do to get the job? Mm-hmm. This thing's important to me. How, how do I help the team more? What do I have to do? That, that type of a reaction, I think, is what, is what the teammates and coaches hope for instead of, you know, like, uh, you know, woe is me, poor me. Nobody gives a damn about you, you know? I mean, <laughs> there, there's been many, many players and coaches that go through this, have gone through this league, and there's going to be many, many coaches and players that go through it in the future. So they don't care about one person's situation. So uh, there's not going to be any pity party. If you if you get into that pity party mode, you're the only one at the party, and, and it's and it's going to be hard to dig yourself out of that. So I think it's very important. This is probably the first time it's ever happened to him. I mean, highly regarded prospect in high school, highly regarded prospect coming out of Clemson. This is the first significant slap in the face. Whoa, I just you know I'm not good enough right now. What do I need to do to be good enough and and proceed from there? Because again. The other thing is, from a, a teammate standpoint and a coach standpoint, you're one snap away from going back in and taking the job again. That's the way you have to look at it. It's like you're literally one snap away. So you better not, uh, you better not be lax or lackadaisical or whatever. You, you you have to approach it like you're a starter, and you're and you're preparing as a starter. That's what every player should do, in my opinion. You know, and uh, and then when the opportunity knocks, like it did for Hakeem Adeniji, he's ready. Let's talk about Joe Burrow, who's having an outstanding second NFL season, with one exception. He's thrown a lot of picks, 11 of them, tied for most in the NFL with Sam Darnold. Here's a stat for you. When he throws one or fewer, the Bengals are 5-1. and one. When he throws two or more, they're 0-3. How much of it is on him so far this year? Well, as the old saying goes, you know, every one of them has its own story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think a couple of red zone – or red zone into the end zone interceptions were you know almost like uh, hope and a prayer type throws and, and those more often than not don't work out um, but you've seen deflections for interceptions um, you've seen defenders just making great plays I mean sometimes you just have to tip your cap to the uh, the defender and, and and say you know what it, what I wasn't necessarily fooled by the scheme but I didn't think he was good enough to do what he did I didn't think he had that kind of athleticism I thought I had a a window to take advantage of. And the thing with Joe, he has so much confidence in his accuracy, and he should. He's about as accurate as I've ever seen. He thinks, you know, that a lot of times he can get it into uh, these micro windows, you know, really, really tiny ones. So, um, and, and a lot of times he does. So I, I think with him, there's no doubt that he can tell you more about every interception he's thrown than every touchdown pass he's thrown mm-hmm. this year. I'll guarantee you. And, and uh, you know, that he, he'll remember – the story and the lesson to be learned by the story with every single one of them and the ones that aren't on him let it roll off your back like water off a duck but the ones that are on him you know learn your lesson uh you know don't don't wallow in it you know but but learn from it and move on and and I think I think that's going to be a big factor I'd like to see him you know the second half of the season the last eight games maybe you know no more than four or five you know cut it in half or better, and I, he's capable of doing that. It's just, um, you know, that that balancing act that great players like him, so competitive. It's like I can do this, you know, and I've done it. And I, I know I can do this. Sometimes you have to just, you know, live for another snap. 
The opponent this week, the Las Vegas Raiders, like the Bengals, 5-4. and four. Like the Bengals, they started 5-2 and two before losing two in a row, as you pointed out earlier. But unlike the Bengals, this is a team with a ton of turmoil. Their head coach, John Gruden, forced to resign. They lost Henry Ruggs. He's likely to go to jail for a long time for that accident that killed a woman and her dog. They've got a bunch of injuries, including some that happened just last Sunday night against the Chiefs. This is a team where you can't help but wondering if they are reeling and beginning to spiral out of control. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking the the same thing a little bit with the Cleveland Browns. You know, I was thinking, boy, Cleveland Browns, some of the things that are going on there and you know, the OBJ situation that was going on with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, he's got a wounded wing, you know, and all, all these things that, uh, oh, boy, what, what are the Cleveland Browns? What's their mindset like? How are they going to be able to – how will they handle this? I, I think that, again, to go back to the, my first point about getting off to a fast start, I think if, if you get off to a fast start when they're, they've experienced everything that they've experienced – the scab comes off quicker and the wound opens faster. And it's like, uh, this isn't the week. This isn't the week we come back and rally boys, you know, man, we're still, we're still struggling. We're still we need to get over We need more time. But if they take a, you know, two score lead. Yeah, guys, we're good. We're done with that. We're tough. We're tough mentally. We're tough physically. We're resilient. We can bounce back. You know, sometimes, um, when, you, when, it, when a group goes through that type of stuff, it galvanizes. You know, I mean, it can have mm-hmm. that. It can have that effect as well. I don't know what the percentages are. They have analytics on everything. I don't know what the percentages are of uh, you know teams that have recovered from this type of craziness that we're talking about and, and have gone on to you know win a division or get in the playoffs and advance in the playoffs. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I, I think it's all up to the Bengals at this point. You know, I mean, I, I think that the. Uh, the Raiders are probably they're probably fragile, you know. I mean, I think it could it could go either way, and I think on how how the game goes early, I think will have a bearing on it. How, yeah, I really do, and particularly if they if they really come out and take control of it. I mean, just totally put a thumping on them in the early stages. I I, I don't think there's going to be that much fight. Uh, but if they the longer it's a game, the more of a dogfight they're in because now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, guys, even though. All this crap that we've had to deal with, we're still a good football team. I love you, man. Let's go win this sucker. That, that kind of stuff can happen. I'm looking forward to seeing this stadium. I'm looking forward to being in Las Vegas for an NFL game because I imagine it's going to be just a little bit like when we've gone to London in the past where people come from all over because it's Vegas and it's a chance to see your NFL team on the road in a city where you can always find a cheap hotel room and spend a little money doing other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no doubt. I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how diverse the crowd is, you know, um, and, and what the mindset of the crowd might be. Uh, if, if, the, if the Raiders get off to a slow start and you've gotten your butt kicked either, uh, you know, rolling the bones or or playing blackjack (laughs) you may start booing real quick you may only take two snaps but if they get off to a great start and you're up a grand man uh, now it's all good boy this is a this is paradise plus so it'll be it'll be interesting to to see what the what the crowd is like and uh yeah i agree it's it's um (laughs) there's no place like vegas that's for sure There's, there's absolutely it's it's one of a kind and, and I can't think of a, an organization that probably fits that city better than the Raiders, you know. The Raiders with Al Davis, our Syracuse fellow alum. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was – he definitely was one of a kind. And uh, that uh, – I, I can tell you, Dan, 
when I played, I mean, we're like two and 15 as an organization in Oakland and LA. I mean, that's when they were dominant. We went out there and just we couldn't beat them. I mean, we'd lose 31 28, whatever the case. I mean, it was close games, competitive games. Lose, play, we lost two playoff games out there. I played in one of them, that 31 28 game I'm talking about. I mean, that was anybody's football game. But we just couldn't get over the top against those great Raider teams that won Super Bowls. And I, I'm, I'm pulling for the Bengals to spank the Raiders in Las Vegas, a new, a new, uh, new location, new environment. And uh, under the <laughs> everything that Vegas has to offer, get a victory against the Raiders, that could be one sweet weekend. Finally, it's time for our Know the Foe segment. Jesse Merrick covers the Raiders for KSNV-TV in Las Vegas, and he joined Lap and Wayne Box Miller on the Bengals Game Plan Show on Wednesday night. You know, it's been kind of a to ride for Raiders fans you know they, they, they were living pretty well they were happy with the way the season was going you know and then uh, the bye comes around they come out of the bye think that they're gonna have a nice easy game against the Giants and then they lose the game lose the turnover battle on that one and then they drop another game there against the Chiefs they're, so they're kind of down on it you're starting to hear all the people talking about Carr and that you know people saying oh they need to move on from him and all this stuff because he's getting turnovers and stuff like that so you know, they're kind of down on it right now, but I think people need to realize it's still a young season. There's still a lot of time left to go. And at the end of the day, you know, both the Bengals and the Raiders, are 5-4. and four. they got a winning record, and they've got a whole lot of games in front of them. So, you know, they still kind of control their playoff destiny right now. A sports psychologist would have a field day with the Raiders. Obviously, <laughs> the, the, really, the John Gruden incident, you know, is, is polarizing. I'm sure there were some John Gruden fans and some guys that weren't as much of a fan of John Gruden, which could be a divisive thing for the football team. Then what went on with Henry Ruggs? I mean, this, this, uh, this football team has dealt with some, some adversity. Do you think that what they're dealing with in terms of the mental part of it, the off-the-field stuff, do you think it's had any bearing on the two-game losing streak? You know, I, I try not to put too much stock into that because, you know, uh, for me, I, I played college football and it was like obviously nowhere near the level that these guys do. But, like, when you get out on the field, that's like your, your release. You know, you don't really think about anything else. It's just kind of off to the side. And maybe when they're in meetings and things like that, it can be. But I think more than anything, it would be kind of the emotional toll of, like, everything because it's been, like, one after another. You mentioned Gruden. You mentioned the situation with Ruggs. Also, Damon Arnett, who was another first-round pick. He was recently released. You know, it was kind of just one thing after another. I had multiple friends of mine who cover teams all across the league saying, like, man, they're keeping you busy. It's just one thing after another. <laughs> I was getting a bit exhausted. So I'm sure, you know, for the players it probably is because they know these guys on a personal level. They're their brothers, their coach, things like that. So it's got to take somewhat of a toll. But I also think once you get to game day, you know, they're only concentrating on the game. they got so much coming at them. They can't really think about anything else at that point. I agree you know, that it's, it's the sanctuary, basically. Game day is your sanctuary, you know, and then everything yeah. else goes away. I agree. Jesse Merrick from 3 News in Las Vegas, our guest. And, Jesse, thanks for joining us. When you look at what this team needs to do down the stretch, uh, what, what is broken per se or what needs to be tweaked or fixed going down the stretch? Yeah, they got to get back to pushing the ball down the field the way that they had. You know, they were they were able to hit a lot of deep passes, you know, early on in the season and, and get teams kind of on their heels that backed them off a bit. And, uh, you know, in a couple of the games, we saw them be able to kind of establish the run a bit because of that. Now, lately, you know, the run blocking, it just hasn't been there. They haven't been able to get the run game going. And then they've been losing the turnover battle every time they try and throw it down the field. And teams are kind of just able to sit in that shell and not worry about, 
you know, too much over the top. Obviously, losing Ruggs hurts because he's that guy that had that game-breaking type of speed. Then they go bring in Deshaun Jackson, you know, in this last game here against the Chiefs. Looks like he had a massive touchdown that was at a key moment in the game, and then I don't know what the heck happened. He got turned around or whatever, and then the ball gets punched loose, and that's a pivotal moment in the game where, you know, things just change. So, for me, it's honestly, I think the Raiders need to not abandon the run because I, I don't want to obviously just throw it out the window because they got Josh Jacobs. But at the same time, like in the early parts of the season, they didn't have Josh Jacobs, and they were cooking when they were able to get the passing game going and use that short passing game to open up the run and then take a couple shots here and there throughout the game, and they were hitting at them at a pretty decent clip. So I think for them, really concentrate on the pass. Go ahead and throw it like 40-plus times a game and let the run game kind of hop in there as more of a supplemental thing, and I think that's where they're going to see more success uh, throughout the year doing that. Has the Ruggs ripple effect um, infected Waller. I mean, it seems like the Kansas City Chiefs had a pretty good game plan to contain Waller, who's, in my mind, a Pro Bowl tight end. I mean, this guy's size speed ratio's off the charts. I thought, you know, the Kelsey-Waller deal, uh, Chiefs-Raiders, which tight end was going to step up? And obviously, Kelsey had a game, and Waller didn't really get that involved. What did, in your mind, when you watched it, what did they do to take Waller out of the game? A lot of bracket coverage, and we've seen a lot more teams start to do that, you know, and I think the Raiders are using them as a bit of a decoy. You know, in the first game against the Ravens, they targeted him 19 times, and people freaked out. They were like, 19 times, throw the ball to somebody else, and it's like, yo, hold up, that's Darren Waller. Like, he's one of the best players in the league. Like, feed him the ball as many times. Feed him the ball 20, 30 times. Like, whatever it takes, if that's going to win you games. And so they've kind of come away from that. I think they got to get him more involved in that. And obviously, again, it's, it's easier said than done when teams are bracketing you. Because now, let's be honest, without Ruggs in there, okay, yeah, they have Deshaun Jackson, but he's not the same type of speed guy. He's obviously much older, you know, and doesn't quite have the same level of speed and game-breaking type of stuff that he used to. So, you know, I think teams are able to key, on it, key in on him a little bit more because they're not as worried about the other players in there because, you know, Brian Edwards hasn't shown the consistency as a receiver to continue to do it to draw that type of attention. And, again, we haven't seen Josh Jacobs get going either. And the other receivers, a lot of younger, unproven guys. Hunter Renfro starting to emerge as, as a really good slot receiver, but still not to the point where a defense is going to key in on him at, you know, all points throughout the game. So I, I think they've got to start kind of forcing it a bit to Waller and, and saying, hey, look, this guy's just better than the guys you got on the other side of the ball. I don't care if you bracket him, whatever the heck you do, we're going to feed him the ball. But then also at the same time, be able to connect when it's just not there and, and hit the openings when other guys are in single coverage. So it's a matter of winning those one-on-one battles that they just haven't been able to do with any consistency thus far outside of Darren Waller. Okay, Jesse Merrick, uh, you can find him on Twitter, social media, Jesse News 3LV. That's J-E-S-S-C News 3LV. You know, one of the things I was looking at with, uh, you know, Darren Waller, I mean, this guy over the last couple of years, 14 catches for 20 or more yards in 19, 16 or more catches for 20 or more yards, and already eight this year. I mean, you're talking about a tight end. Uh, getting 20 or more yards is just like an, a, a huge bonus. Well, you're talking about a guy that's 6'6 plus, 250 pounds plus, that runs a sub 4, 540. That is a freakazoid. I mean, that, that is a size-speed <laughs> ratio that's, like, unbelievable. I mean, he is uh, he's, he's really, really talented and, and gifted. There's, there's no question about it. While we have you, Jesse, defensively, uh, the Bengals have a couple of, uh, the, I call them the H-boys. You, you, you have Hendrickson and Hubbard, and they've combined for 13 and a half sacks. You guys have Ngakwe and Crosby, 
who've combined for 11 sacks. How, how much energy, how much, uh, how much do they give this defense off the edge at the defensive end position? Man, it is. It, you know, that was one thing that John constantly talked about is that they got to get to the quarterback. They got to get a pass rush going. Well, this year they've gotten it in spades. It hasn't translated to as many sacks as you would think it probably would. And depending on where you get your stats from, Max Crosby and uh, Unique Ngakwe at different points throughout the year have been number one in the league in pressures. From what I know right now, Crosby is number one in pressures by uh, Pro Football Focus. And so those guys really set the tone for the defense around them. And it's helped guys like Casey Hayward in coverage. You know, I, I, I don't know anymore if he has, but I think up until like a week or two ago, he hadn't allowed, you know, a catch at all, all season or something like that, or more than you know, he had like one of the highest coverage grades uh, by pro football focus. So he had had been having a great year. And I think a lot of that is because of the pressure those guys are applying and they're really kind of breaking the game for the defense and allowing guys to roam around and just kind of be athletes. And so uh, they have been the driving force for this defense. And it's fun to watch because they're competing nonstop. Even at practice, it's a sprint to the line of scrimmage. It's a sprint off of there. Whatever the heck they're doing, Crosby and Unique seem to really have this big connection, and they're, they're playing off of each other very well. And it's something that's given opposing offenses, you know, a heck of a headache. And, you know, you, you even saw it against Mahomes. He was having to move around and get off the spot, which he obviously does all the time. But they frustrated him a bit. Just obviously not enough, as you guys saw. They scored 41 points. My thanks to Lap, Box, and Jesse Merrick for that interview. And here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 2.30 to 5.30 on ESPN 15.30. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.